Well, welcome and good morning, everybody. So my name is Justin. Uh, as Todd and Cynthia mentioned, I serve here as the next generation pastor, but I also have the privilege of working with our church's executive team and our stewardship team that you'll hear a little bit more about later. And that's because this morning has a bit of a dual purpose. Uh, I think Todd and Cynthia mentioned this as well, but we're in a series called Short Stories that we've been all summer long taking a look at the parables of Jesus, and I am honored that I get the chance to open up another one of those with you this morning. Uh, But also, this is the time of year where we as a church kind of wrap up our fiscal year. We start to look at a new year ahead of us and budget for the things that we think God is calling us to do. And so we're going to take some time this morning to take a look at that as well, which means you're here for everybody's favorite Sunday in church, the money talk. So I promise uh, if you haven't been around for one of those before, it's not going to be that bad. This isn't going to be all about numbers. It's not going to be about guilting you into giving more. This really is about how as we as a church enter into a new budget year, we can make sure that our perspective is clear and that our hearts are in the right place um, to invest our time and our talents and our treasure in what God has for us individually and as a church. And we really believe that God has a big mission and vision for us. Uh, I hope at some point along the way, even if you're new here, you might have uh, caught sight of the seven words that we have on the wall right as you walk in that kind of represent the values and the vision that we have as a church. And one of those words is giving, that we want to be a giving church. Collectively and individually, we believe that God is calling us to extraordinary generosity. Not just regular giving, but extraordinary generosity. And we have the opportunity to do that in our community. And I think most of us would think that that's a pretty awesome thing. Like that we would all say, we want to be giving, we want to be generous. But we also have to recognize that there are things that push back against that in our lives. There are are tensions that we have and that we aren't naturally giving. That's why we have to talk about it. It's why we have to walk the hard road of discipleship with Jesus to grow in our generosity and to give in the ways that he calls us to give. And it's why we feel awkward when we do talk about it some. There's tensions there. There's a lot of things at play. And that kind of generosity and giving, it won't happen without intentionality. And so that's why we're talking about it this morning. And I think the biggest reason why the topic of money and finances can be a little difficult or awkward sometimes is that It really involves our heart. And we're going to talk about that more in depth all morning long, about that connection between our finances and our heart. But I really want us right off the bat to understand that this is a personal topic. You know, whether we like it or not or want to admit it or not, money is important to us. We like it a lot. We live in a culture, quite frankly, that idolizes it. And beyond just that close connection to our heart, I think another layer of why this topic can be a little tricky, is that there's also hurt involved in it. You know, not only does our culture idolize money, but our culture, and probably many of us too, have a growing distrust of institutions and how they handle money, including the church. I think all of us have seen in the news, or unfortunately maybe even have personal examples of ways that we've seen You know, the misuse of money or abuse by leaders and how they handle an organization's finances. And we see that 
over and over again, you know, repeated in our country. And it, it adds a layer of hurt and distrust that makes this topic a little more difficult. I even saw this week as I was preparing for this that there was a video going viral on TikTok, which, by the way, that's the app where teenagers do silly dances if you're a little older in the room. But there was a video going viral on TikTok of a pastor literally yelling at his congregation because they hadn't given him a nice watch. And it would almost be funny if it weren't so sad that there are so many churches and Christians in our nation that that really have bought into what we would call the prosperity gospel, where health and wealth are more of God than God himself. And just, by the way, if Todd or I, and in all seriousness, if we ever, like, ask for anything personal or start complaining that we don't have nice enough things, like, please just come chase us off the stage. Don't let us become a viral TikTok. Like, you can come up and just go full Will Smith on us. Just get us out of here, because... I mean, I don't know. I probably shouldn't encourage violence from up here. It's like I tell my kids, you know, use your words, please. But uh, you get the point. That uh, hopefully is not anything that's ever going to happen here. But in all seriousness, this is a touchy topic. And so we're going to dive into it this morning. My prayer is that the Lord would really help us to sort through some of these things, to get deep into what God's heart is for us in this area of finances and generosity and that we'd get some insight into our hearts and that maybe we'd be encouraged to take a little more ownership of what we're doing as a church. And I hope that uh, as you get to hear a little bit from Bill Callahan, our treasurer, later on and hear some about how we as a church have certain practices in place to make sure that we steward what we're entrusted with through your generosity well, that you'll be encouraged to do that Uh, even more. And so would you just join me as we get started this morning in praying for God to help us with all that? Father, we need you to speak to our hearts this morning. God, I pray that you would just give me wisdom and clarity as I speak your word. Um, Father, that you would prepare us to receive what you have for each and every one of us. And I just pray that you would speak through any hurts or skepticism, God, there's any awkwardness or selfishness or assumptions, God, that we have, would you just allow us to see truly what you have for us? Would you give us a clear vision of what you're calling us to as a church, God, just for each of us individually, for us as a body, would you help us to be your hands and feet and to give generously like you've given generously to us? And Lord, I just ask that with all the circumstances in our country right now in the world, with the way uh, there's so much economic uncertainty and inflation, God, Lord, where we might be tempted to cling to the things that we have, God, the money and the resources that we have, God, would you help us to cling to you instead? And so, Lord, we just ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to jump around a little bit in the scriptures, but we're primarily going to be taking a look at a parable that's found in Luke chapter 12. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 12, we're going to be in verses 13 through 21. And the parable that we're taking a look at is called the parable of the rich fool. And probably a lot of you have seen it before. It really is interesting. It's found in a section of Luke where Jesus is just surrounded by crowds And he's constantly engaging them, and he's teaching them, and he's using parables pretty regularly. And in fact, this this part of Luke from about chapters 9 to 19 that we're going to be right in the middle of in chapter 12, it actually has the most red letters, or basically the most times that Jesus is talking, of anywhere else in the Gospels. 
Like this is, if you want to find stuff that Jesus has to say, this part of Luke has just story after story and teaching after teaching from Jesus, including this parable that we're going to take a look at again in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. So if you have it in your Bible, you can follow along with me there, or it'll be up on the screens as well. And so here it goes. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. It's an interesting parable. It, it almost seems a little harsh in some ways, but there's lots for us to dig into here. And basically, right, Jesus is in the middle of these crowds. He's teaching and engaging with them. He's surrounded by literally thousands of people. It tells us actually a little bit earlier in the chapter. And there's a man in the crowd who clearly has some kind of financial dispute going on with his family. And so he shouts out to Jesus this, this question or, you know, really this cry for help. Teacher, at, you know, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And we don't really get any other backstory or information on this guy other than his question. And so we don't know exactly what's going on. We don't know if he, you know, recently lost his parents. We don't know uh, if he's being wronged by his family or if he's in the right or really any other details beyond the question. But based on his question, it seems pretty likely that the scenario that's going on is that this man has just lost his father. And he, he's probably a younger brother whose older brother has ended up in charge of his family's estate. And in some way, he's, he feels like he's getting shortchanged a little bit. And he's probably right. You know, we have to remember that literally everyone in the area is gathered together to hear Jesus. And so his brother is probably in the crowd, too. It's not like, you know, 2,000 years ago when your whole village or city went out to hear or see someone doing miracles that you would likely, you know, hang back and be like, no, thanks, I'm going to finish a couple more episodes. Like, everybody in the area has come out to hear Jesus and to see what he's doing. And so I think this guy knows exactly what he's doing when he shouts out to Jesus. He's probably been listening to Jesus and waiting for his moment to interject, and he's going to call his brother out. You know, he's probably thinking to himself, all right, well, you know, if my brother's going to, you know, kind of do this over on me, like, let's see how he likes it when I call him out in front of Jesus and everybody. He's going to have to, you know, divide the inheritance. He's going to have to give me what I want. He's going to have to give me justice, and Jesus is going to make this right. But he doesn't. And in fact, Jesus gives an answer that almost seems like a little out of character. He says, you know, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And like 
in a way, when you think about it, it's like, I almost want to be like, well, Jesus, uh, I, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but you're God. It's kind of part of the job description. Like, the guy is right and calling out to Jesus and asking him for help with the situation. And most of us would expect that Jesus would step in and, you know, he'd resolve the situation with kind of a magical piece of Jesus wisdom that just would make everything all right. But he doesn't do that, right? He basically gives the guy the equivalent of like, sorry, dude, not my problem. And that's all he gets. And again, I kind of want to be like, come on, Jesus, like help this guy out. Like, don't you care about the injustice here if he's being wronged by his family? But like God so often does, Jesus gives an answer that no one expects. He demonstrates that he cares far more about other things than what this man cares about. He cares far more about the man's heart and God's kingdom and this man's relationships than he does about his finances. And he shows that his priorities and that his perspective are completely different than this man's or the crowd's and probably ours. In fact, his priorities, his focus is so different that Jesus not only finds this man's justified desire for financial justice not only just distracting or unconcerning, but dangerous. And he starts to illustrate that, or he continues, and he says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, right, for One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he makes that point by, tell, by telling this parable about the rich man. And I want to ask you to try to set aside your judgment for a second about the rich man. Because here's the thing. We know it's the parable of the rich fool. We know God's response. We know what God says. We know what happens to this man. But my suspicion is, is that if we didn't have God's response in verses 20 and 21... We wouldn't think this guy's a fool at all, right? He's a successful man. He's successful enough to do whatever he wanted. He's successful enough to store up uh, money and resources for the future, to be able to leave some behind for his kids. Like, that's kind of the American dream. He's doing well. And as far as we know, we don't hear anything at all about, you know, exploitive business practices, that he's treating his workers poorly. We don't even get a picture that this man is, you know, neglecting his family in the pursuit of his riches and kind of hustling the way our culture encourages us to do, right? Jesus says his land produced plentifully. Like, it wasn't really even in his control. And most of the time, our way of describing somebody like that wouldn't be foolish. It would be blessed, like, this man is doing well, and in a lot of ways, we're not that different, right? We live in Hilton Head, and we have no shortage of wealthy people, and some of you would recognize that you're in that category, and maybe others of us would kind of argue, yeah, I'm not sure that, you know, that's me, but by biblical standards, we are all rich, right? If we ask ourselves, I mean, have you ever taken a load of things to Goodwill because you didn't need or want it anymore, have you ever traded out a cell phone just because there's a new model that came out and, you know, maybe you had a little crack in your screen, but it still worked? 
right? Maybe you've repainted a room in your house just because you didn't like the color, whatever it might be. There are examples upon examples that we can look at where we see that we're unquestionably rich. You know, it might be a little cliche to cite these statistics, but at the end of 2018, all right, so before the pandemic, before the war in Ukraine or our rampant inflation, almost 50% of the world's population lived on less than $5.50 a day. 46%. And I doubt it's gotten any better the last few years. Right, we are unquestionably rich. And my desire isn't to make you feel guilty about that this morning. Right? I'm right in the middle of it with you. But I think we have to examine our hearts a little bit. And I don't know how we can read Jesus' teaching in this parable or his teaching about finances in countless other places and not examine our hearts and question ourselves a little bit. Realize that we need to kind of check ourselves sometime and that maybe the standards of living and generosity that we learn in America or even in the American church aren't really all that biblical. That maybe God has different standards, that maybe there's a different way of being rich and that God wants to invite us into something bigger you see, the rich man's mistake, it wasn't that he had too much money, that he you know, was too wealthy, or that there was something wrong with earning or receiving that money. What was wrong about the rich man, or what his mistake was, was thinking that it was for him, and using it for himself. Because see, being rich the way that God desires for us to be rich has almost nothing to do with how much money we have. Being rich the way God desires for us to be rich is so much more about God's grace and his kingdom and a richness inside of us that he wants us to have. It's, it's more than money or the stuff that we have. And Paul, in the New Testament, paints a picture for us of this better way of being rich and of using our money and our resources. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, you see, at this point, the church was still pretty young, but the church in Jerusalem was going through some hard times, through famine and through some persecution. And so Paul um, and Titus and some others uh, of the leaders in the early church, they took it upon themselves to raise a collection from other churches to support the church in Jerusalem. And uh, Paul goes to write to the Corinthians, and he had already made kind of a round through churches in an area called Macedonia, which is basically the Philippians, the Thessalonians, those churches. Uh, and he goes to the Corinthians, and he uses these other churches as an example of what they've already done. And he says this. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, uh, poverty, I'm saying that word, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And I don't know if you caught that, but those those two words don't usually go together, right? Paul was able to talk about the wealth of these churches, the grace of God that was pouring out on them, and their overflowing generosity at the same time as their extreme poverty, right? These churches had almost nothing. These Christians had almost nothing, and yet they were able to, gate or to give out of a richness that they had in God's grace and his joy. We don't know how much money they actually gave. I mean, it's likely that it probably wasn't much, but it, Paul viewed it as rich. 
Because again, for a Christian, our, our richness has nothing to do with our money and everything to do with God's goodness and his grace and his kingdom and our response to that. You see, when you care about the right things, when your focus is in the right place and it's on God and it's not on our money, our heart is freed instead of foolish. Right? The way that God says when we think it's all for ourselves that we're foolish, instead we can be freed. When we put our focus in the right place, freed to give our time and our talents and our treasure the way that God calls us to, which is radically generous. Because that's what God wants from us. It's what he did for us. He gave everything for us. And it's the example that he gives for us to be givers as he is givers. And I do want to be clear here, though. We don't give to be saved, to have our relationship with God. We give because we are saved and because we have a relationship with God. It is out of that that we have the kind of richness that he's talking about. You see, the kind of giving that God calls us to is a post-salvation thing, right? Obviously, anybody can give. There are plenty of people who are not followers of Jesus who give of their time and their money to charities and to other people. But the kind of giving that God calls us to only makes sense. In fact, I think it's only possible if the Holy Spirit is inside of us empowering us to do it. Because it is radical, it is sacrificial, it's hard. And what it is, it's it's a tangible expression of the fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's God giving us the love and joy and peace as a motivation to give the way he calls us to. And it's also having a peace and a trust from God to have a platform to give like that. Because if you don't trust in God and you don't have a peace from him that he provides for you, it's going to seem a lot scarier and a lot riskier to give the way that he calls us to. But the Holy Spirit gives us the love and joy and motivation that we need to give the way that he calls us to. And what happens is our giving basically becomes a dashboard meter of our hearts. It shows us what's going on inside Right? It gives us insight into our hearts. It's like Jesus says, if a tree produces good fruit, it's healthy. And giving is one of those fruits that allows us to see what's going on inside. And are we healthy? In other words, it kind of shows us our internal richness. That external action shows us internal richness because our finances reveal the focus of our heart. It shows what we're interested in. It shows what we're invested in. And it reveals to us what's going on. Paul puts it like this as he continues to talk to the Corinthians. He says, kind of after encouraging, you know, the Corinthians with the story of the Macedonians' generosity that we just looked at, he challenges them to give in the same way. If you look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, he says this to them. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace, talking about their giving, also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. See, how we give is a dashboard of our spiritual life, just like our works 
You know, the other works of serving, evangelizing, um, you know, being in the Word, spending time with God, it proves what God is doing inside of us. And it shows the strength of our faith and it reveals the focus of our heart. And that's why money and finances can seem so personal because we have to be vulnerable. It shows our hearts. It's because financial things really are spiritual things. They're all connected. And so one of my questions this morning for us as a church is, where do we find our hearts today? Where are we at? Do we, or is our giving the kind of giving that reflects a heart full of joy and peace from the Holy Spirit? Like, do we sense that kind of motivation that the Macedonian churches had to give and to give sacrificially, to give significantly, to sacrifice significantly? I know mine is not always that way. Like I, you know, just personally to be vulnerable, I mean, I have, you know, auto draft set up to give about 10% of our income to a few different ministries but beyond that, I kind of put that on autopilot. I don't think about it very much. And when other random needs arise or requests to give come up, I, I have to wrestle with it pretty severely. It's like, I'm kind of already doing my part. Do I really need to do anything else? And my heart doesn't jump for joy at the opportunity of participating in what God's doing as much as it does kind of want to protect what I think is mine. And so even I and all of us, I think we always have to be looking at our hearts and wrestling with this a little bit. And so what do we do when we find ourselves in that struggle? What do we do if we don't want to give maybe exactly like God calls us to give? How do we kind of press through that? How do we change our hearts? What if it doesn't seem like we've got the love and joy and peace and all of those things that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be providing for us? Well, thankfully, I think there are a couple things that can help. Number one, there's a truth that we need to know, and there is uh, something that we can do to shepherd our hearts in a sense, or to point our hearts or to focus our hearts in the right place. And the, the truth that we need to know about how we give and use our money is something that we call stewardship, right? You heard me mention earlier we have a stewardship team at the church we'll talk about in a little bit, but basically we're not talking about managing or using our money. We're talking about God's money, that's why we call it stewardship, because we are not owners of our resources. We're stewards of his resources. It's not ours, and it never was. And in the parable of the rich fool, right, we see God's uh, question to the man as he's about to die. You know, whose will these things be? And most of us, I think, would recognize that we can't take anything with us. But I think fewer of us realize that it never was ours in the first place, right? Our circumstances, our abilities, right? Our inheritances, whatever we might get, the opportunities that we have, the raw materials that we have to use to build and to earn things in this world, they all come from God. Everything is a gift from him, and they're not ours. Nothing is. When, uh, when I was in seminary, I worked as an accounting tutor to students at SMU. It's what my undergrad degree is in, and so it was a great job while I was in seminary getting to work with college students doing that. Um, and accounting is interesting. When you do accounting classes, one of the first things that you learn is something called the accounting equation. Uh, it's this 
little thing. It's assets equals liabilities plus equity. And most people assume with accounting that you're talking mainly about math, but the interesting thing about accounting is it's actually a whole lot more about language. The way that you do really well in college accounting courses, this is a free one for any high schoolers out there when you get there, right, is actually by knowing really clear definitions and rules. It's not necessarily being good at math. All you got to do is add, and we got calculators for that, right? And so one of the first lessons that I would talk my students through is this accounting equation and helping them to get really clear definitions of what each of those things are. So I would say assets are what you have. Liabilities are what you owe, and equity is what you own. And so I would always go through this little illustration with them. I'd take a couple of pencils or pens, you know, whatever we kind of had lying around, and I'd give one of them to the student that I was tutoring. I'd say, okay, this is yours. Like this pen, that's your pen. I'm not going to take it. You don't have to give it to anybody. That is now your pen. And so you have one pen, an asset, and you own that pen, equity, Right, so you have one pen, and it's equity. It's one pen. But then I would take the second pen that I had, and I'd say, I'm going to give you this pen as well, but I'm just loaning it to you. Like, really, that's my pen. You're going to have to give that back to me later. All right, but the student would then be sitting there holding two pens, and I'd say, okay, you now have two pens. You have assets of two pens, but you owe one of those back to me. You only own one of those, one liability, one equity. Guys, our problem is that we see our assets, the things that we have, as equity. And really, they're liabilities. One day or another, it all goes back to God. And even while we have it, he still owns it. It's his stuff. You know, John Wesley, the famous evangelist, um, founder of Methodism, a guy who uh, landed in America, actually just about 10 or 15 miles that way, I think, in Savannah. Right At one point in his travels, he was informed by somebody that his house had burned down. And his response was, the Lord's house burned, one less responsibility for me. I don't know that many of us would have that kind of attitude, but we need to be reminded regularly that it's all his. It's not our money, it never was. And thankfully, beyond knowing that truth, though, there is something that we can do to remind ourselves of that, to shepherd our hearts towards the generosity that God calls us to. And it's because this link between finances and our heart that we've been talking about this morning, it goes beyond just revealing our heart. The two are tied together. And so it's kind of like where one goes, the other goes with it. And what that means is that even though God has to change our hearts initially, right, to bring us to life, that once we're saved, we do have a role in directing our heart. That if we find ourselves and our hearts kind of drifting away from God, we actually can redirect it towards him through our finances in one way, also our time and other things. But Jesus says basically if we to redirect our money, that our hearts will follow. And he says it like this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves Break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, our finances in some sense are like a GPS. Like not only do they show us where our heart is, 
at a point in time, they guide us towards where our heart is going. They affect where our hearts go. In other words, our finances not only reveal where our hearts are at, but they direct our hearts. Our finances direct the focus of our hearts. And again, it's not towards or away from God's in a sense of salvation, but in that relationship with God, our finances can direct us towards or away greater uh, or away from greater intimacy with him and all the benefits of that. And so often we as believers, we live with half-hearted faith. We wonder why we don't have the, the joy or the peace or the love like we feel like we're supposed to have, and yet our talent and our treasures and our time are divided between God and between our own priorities, and we miss out on a deeper experience of what God has to offer for us. And I think a lot of times we're trying to have one hand on God and one hand on the things that we want to. And Jesus tells us that doesn't work out very well. He he puts it like this again in Matthew chapter 6, just a few verses later on. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, what we have to wrestle with is which way do we want to go? And we have to realize we live in a culture of extreme temptation away from God. And that it takes some radical things to move towards him. But who or what do we want to serve? Do we want to continue to focus on our priorities and our kingdom and our goals and cling to our money the way that the rich man did? Or do we want to see what God has for us? To see what he has to offer? And Corey ten Boom has an interesting quote. Uh, she said, hold everything with an open hand. Because if God pries open the fingers, it hurts. God will have the full focus of our hearts one way or another, one day or another. But he gives us the opportunity to walk into it willingly and to experience the benefits of of that. And God is inviting us into his mission to participate in the gospel, to be side by side with him in deep intimacy. And how we use our finances is a huge part of that. It's the opportunity that God invites us into because our finances give us the opportunity to invest in God's mission. They are an opportunity to invest in God's mission. And the early Christians in Macedonia understood that. The ones that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says this in verses 3 and 4. He says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Right? They, I don't know how many of us beg for the opportunity to give to something. Right? They, they understood that it was an investment, and because of their faith, they wanted in on it. And they begged for it the way that we might beg if we had a friend who was starting a business and was looking for investors and somehow we knew that the return on investment was going to be like a hundred times what we put in. They wanted in on this opportunity to invest in God's mission because that's what it is. Giving is an investment in God's mission here and now and in our eternity. It's an opportunity. It's also a risk. It shows our faith. But God directs our hearts towards that, and he empowers us to do that. 
When you're invested in something, you start to care more about it. And it's why giving can be so important for us to shepherd our hearts to where Jesus is concerned and the things that he cares about. And what Jesus is most concerned about is that we're focused on and investing in his kingdom. And it's not because he's selfish and he wants it all. It's because he knows that's where we're going to find the best return on our investment. He wants to bless us and he wants us to bless or he wants to bless us with his presence and his power, his grace and his goodness. But money can so easily shift our focus away from that. So that's why we as a church as we prepare to enter a new budget year and um, to kind of look at our own finances, we want to take time to examine our hearts. And I want to challenge us to do that individually as well. That not only is this a good time of year for us as a church to do it together, but it's a great chance for us to do it individually. Now, how can we take even just one small step towards God and the kind of generosity and giving that he calls us to? How can we grow in that? How can we have more of the love and joy and peace in our life that he calls us to. It's not like we have to go sell everything all at once, you know, and give it all away right off, you know, the bat. Maybe he does call us to that eventually, but maybe this morning we just need to ask, how can we take one step towards the kind of radical generosity that God has for us? And so I would ask yourself this, what's just a new financial guideline you can adopt in your own life? What's maybe something that you can put in place to help shepherd your heart, to protect your heart, to guard it against the covetousness that Jesus warns us about? You know, there's a variety of things that it could be. You know, Andrea and I have a few things in our lives that we do to kind of protect our hearts. Um, you know, just to give you a quick hit, uh, version of them, you know, one thing that we do, and by the way, these are not rules for everybody. You shouldn't feel guilty if they're not things that you do or have done. Like this is just stuff that we put in our lives. You will likely have much different things. But a couple things that we do is we only buy used cars. We've never bought a car that we couldn't pay for in cash and also that we couldn't pay for in cash again because we don't ever buy, you know, uh, comprehensive or collision insurance on it. So we want to buy a car that's cheap enough that we can pay for it outright and that if we do something stupid right off the bat and wreck it, we can buy another one too. And it just protects our hearts because otherwise I would really enjoy to drive a really nice car. Right? The other thing we do, we started pretty early in our marriage. We made a rule that anything that we spend on Christmas on ourselves, the gifts or activities or anything like that, we had to spend more on charity or on giving. And I'll be honest with you, like, we don't always do perfectly at that. Like, especially the last few years, like it was one thing when there was just the two of us, it was pretty easy. It's another thing when there's three little kids that we have to buy presents for. The bill has gone up a little bit. And it's not like we track and make sure, okay, we spent $748 on ourselves. Let's make sure we spend $749 on giving. Like, it's just a general awareness that we try to have. And so maybe there's a guideline in your own life that you could adopt something new just to put a guardrail in your life to kind of shepherd you and to point you in the right direction towards the kind of generosity God calls us to. You know, maybe for some of you, it's that you need to start giving for the first time. Start investing in God's kingdom and see what he has to offer. Maybe for others, it's we need to pick a, a different percentage to give, to invest more deeply in God's kingdom so that we have the kind of generosity and heart that God's looking for. And to do that, we've got to have the Holy Spirit to empower us. We've got to look to the example that Jesus 
set for us in how he has given generously to us. It's what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 2. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus gave everything. He just asks us to give some of our time and our talent and our treasures to be invested in his kingdom. He'll help us so that we can give generously, so that we can focus our hearts on others regardless of our circumstances and give the way that he calls us to. And this year, with all the uncertainty in the economy and inflation, how amazing would it be if our concerns were less about protecting what we have and our standard of living, but more about investing in God's mission? What if we were focused on increasing our standard of giving more than our standard of living? If that was our heart's desire, and that's what we wanted to do. I hope and believe that as we as a church are striving for that, but it is a journey that we're all on. It takes the guidance of God's Holy Spirit and for us individually, but as a church too. And so as we as a church kind of go into this next year, um, seeking to be that giving church. I want to invite Bill Callahan up on the stage with me because Bill serves as our volunteer treasurer. He, uh, he does an amazing job using his gifts and experience to help our church. Would you guys just give a round of applause for Bill? Thank you. Right. Well, Bill, I, uh, I've talked a little bit this morning about financial guidelines and stewardship um, in our lives. Would you mind just telling the church a little bit about kind of your role and also some of the guidelines that we have in place as a church? Sure. First, good morning, church. Uh, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Amen, Amen right? I, I, I just want to start, before I get into the financial principles that we use to govern the church, to thank everyone for their contribution of their, your time, talent, and treasure. I firmly believe that that's allowed the Lord to show favor mm -hmm. on our church. And I hope I'm going to be able to illustrate that a little bit to you in a few minutes. So if I could have the first, just to think about the stewardship. It starts there, and I have a couple of principles that we guide our church by. Best, best practices that we look at across other churches, biblical principles. The first one that's the most important to me is that there's independent oversight of your contributions. Mm -hmm. the, the, the elders, three of the, the elders, stewardship committee have independence that look over and here's the key point. Our pastors voluntarily submit to that independent oversight and, and work with us humbly about how to steward your resources. The next point that I'd like to have, just a little bit about how we govern and use your money, it's policy-based. So we think about, and one policy you've heard us talk about a lot, is we donate 10 cents of every dollar to, to our mission partners. Hmm. We tithe what you contribute to our church, something that's very biblical. And the last one, which is kind of what we're doing here today, is transparency. We want to make sure that, that you know that we, how we manage it, uh, the amount of money that we have. Every week we tell you how much we need and how much we, is given. And there's, so there's a lot of transparency in terms of what we do, Justin. And those are principles that I think show that we're doing best practices in terms of how we're stewarding the money. Well, Bill, I know we're all um, really thankful, especially just from the staff team of what you do and the rest of the stewardship team and our elders to help us with those things. 
Um, but obviously in the next few days, so September 1st is the start of our new fiscal year as a church. Would you mind just talking a little bit about the last budget year and kind of telling the congregation some of the highlights? I'd, I'd be delighted. Uh, you know, this is a, this is a, how do I say this? I don't mean to offend our pastor here, but you know, our, our pastor Todd, his Georgia Bulldogs won the oh, national no. championship. <laughs> you know, <sighs> there we go, right? Sorry, sorry about Tennessee, right? But if you take a look and they bring up the next slide, in, in, in fiscal year 2022, you contributed $1.6 million to this church. Church, that's a record. That's an mm -hmm. amen in terms mm -hmm. of what we did, right? So what happens after that? And there were a few things, a few other highlights. One, I want to give everybody, right now, 65% of our gifts come in via online giving. So, you know, if you think about it, and this is just, again, another little commercial, we switched providers last year. So all of us in this room, particularly guys like me that are over 70, we got the technology and we figured out how to do 65%. That number you used did to be good. 40%. So congratulations, church. And then here's the plug that I'd like to, to really get. We spent a whole year redoing how we handle creative gifts. So we are well prepared uh, for stock gifts and other things. And if you talk to just about any other any financial planner in the, in the world, they would tell you that donating appreciated stock is the most tax-effective way to donate to the church. So we're set up for that. We'd be happy to encourage other people. Uh, I'll meet with you. I'll meet with your broker, whoever. But we're set up to handle that for you in the future. The next one I like, and, I, and this one's really near and dear to my heart. When you look at our finances and where we're investing your contributions, nearly 30 cents of every dollar is going to the next generation, either through students, our kids' ministries, our global partners, a lot of them are orphanages and things like that. So think about it. And we learned this last week, which I thought was really important, when Paula and Angela talked about Scotland and how fragile our faith is from one generation to the next. Hmm. So I am really thrilled to be at a church that's spending 30 cents of every dollar into that next generation. Hmm. And then lastly, and this is the big news, you know, we, we now were able, thanks to your contributions, we were able to reduce our long-term debt by 321000 We mm -hmm. want to be a church. Thank you. We want to be a church that's debt-free. So if you think about acquiring the campuses and everything we did, we started out a few years ago at $1.2 uh, $1 million. Mm -hmm. We've now, thanks to your contributions, have reduced that debt to 700000 And frankly, the stewardship team and elders, we're believing we can be debt-free by 2025. Amen. Now, Bill, those uh, are pretty amazing things, especially when you think about the circumstances that we've been in for the last you know, year or two with the pandemic and inflation. Uh, I'm not sure I understand your comparison to Georgia's <laughs> national championship. That seems more like a low light than a highlight to me, but we'll, uh, we'll go with it. Um, obviously, so as this budget year ends, a new budget year is beginning. And so is there anything kind of about the next budget year that we want to share with the congregation? I, I think there's two or three things. And first, understand, church, we're positioned to grow the ministry, which is the most mm -hmm. important thing we're here for. And I think it, when we think about the budget, it all starts with prayer. This is a faith-based budget. What we'll see more and more of in our budget is more in-person outreach and, you know, when we were in the pandemic, we had to, frankly, invest in some technology so we could all sit at home and watch online. We've been shifting that back. 
to being able to have in-person events, like last week's celebration, for mm -hmm. example, those sorts of things. Secondly, you know, we're going to be continuing to uh, invest in uh, paying down long-term debt. And so that's, we're going to continue that process. And so from that standpoint, and lastly, I think importantly, and, and they don't seek this, uh, uh, pray, uh, you know, this praise, but church, we are so blessed to have the staff that we have. Pastor Todd and Cynthia and Justin and that. Yeah, give, give them a hand. Come on. There we go. And I want you to know as the stewardship team and the elders, we focus on making sure that we're compensating them appropriately as we look across. And so part of your dollars are making sure that we keep our staff uh, in line compensation-wise and, and we're investing in their futures and development. So just to kind of wrap all that up for a second, you know, I hope today you've kind of thought, you find out that our governance practices are best, you know, we follow best practices. Thank you, Lord, and thank you, all of you, for a tw an outstanding 2022 and that we're positioned for ministry. And lastly, Justin, I think as, as you've had in, in today's message, I think when we look at how our church is contributing their time, talent, and treasure, I believe they are focused on eternity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I would, uh, I would say that too. We are incredibly thankful for just your generosity, for the generosity that we have as a church, um, for the help of these guys, our elders and our stewardship team and shepherding us in these areas. Um, I just want to take a second as we get ready to wrap up this morning just to pray uh, for us as a congregation, as a church and individually that we would navigate these areas well and as we go into the new budget year that uh, we'd really be clinging to God in that. Father, we are so just thankful, Lord, for the opportunities that you give us uh, to be a part of your mission and your kingdom. And so, God, I just pray that even right now you would stir in our hearts, God, individually and as a church, Lord, an excitement for what you're doing and in a belief and a faith in what you're doing, God, that we would want to be invested in you above anything else. And so, Lord, would you guide our hearts? Would you help us to look to your leading? Would you give our elders, our stewardship team, our pastors, even each of us, wisdom for how we steward our resources, um, and just guide us forward into this next budget year, God. We pray that it'd be pleasing to you. We pray that it would be your plans and your work, God. We know it's your treasure. Um, and so, Lord, we just put it all in your hands, we ask, um, just for your protection, your provision, and your guiding. God, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.